Welcome to the Inside OU Podcast, brought to you by New Balance of Edmond, featuring Keegan Renault from SoonersWire.com, powered by USA Today, and Brady Trantham. Hello, Brady. Bob Stoops here. Appreciate the great Sooner fan that you are and have been for all these years. Boomer Sooner. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Inside OU Podcast. The, today's episode... It's going to be a tad bit different just because Media Corner, which takes place recording-wise Sunday or Monday, I was busy both days and was unable to do it with our guest. So Keegan stepped into the role of interviewer. Uh, So shout out to Keegan for doing something a little bit outside of his comfort zone. Keegan sat down at his computer desk and talked to our good friend Mr. Blinken Riley over his computer machine and had the Media Corner segment. So if you want to listen to the full conversation between Keegan and Blink and Riley, that is, of course, up on our Patreon page, where you can find it at uh, patreon.com slash inside underscore OU. It's $4 a month for all that, plus the postgame show. And then if you want to see the film review from Keegan, that is just $5 a month, which gets you that, plus everything else. So not too expensive. We like putting out the product. It's fun. We feel like we're doing a good job, so hopefully you enjoy that. But if you still want a little bit of a sample not too sure just yet. You're about to hear about 10, 15 minutes of Keegan's conversation with Blinken. And then afterwards, Keegan joins after Lincoln Riley's press conference on Tuesday to talk about a wealth of things from everywhere from Nebraska as a program to recruiting news for OU to the state of the Texas program to COVID ravaging the Oklahoma roster. And then, of course, Bob Stoops making an appearance potentially on the sideline and a coaching capacity for Oklahoma on Saturday night against Baylor. So it's a fun podcast. Hope you all enjoy it. Gives you something to uh, listen to for an hour or so during this fun, fun week following Thanksgiving. So hopefully you all staying safe out there. We appreciate y'all listening to the Inside OU podcast. So let's get right to the show. So what we were talking about before we just came on was the tiebreaker situations that are within the Big 12. It, depending on who you want to read, if you want to read Soonerswire.com, powered by USA Today Sports, or you want to read, which is owned by Gannett, or if you want to read The Oklahoman, which is powered by Gannett, which is also owned by Gannett, depends on who you talk to. However, I think you and I can both sit here and say confidently after looking at everything, and I can sit here and say with 100% confidence, based off everything that everything has been said, Oklahoma controls their destiny if they win out. Yes. It is a very weird situation that could potentially happen. But if you work with me, if people work with me for about 30 seconds here, we can explain it. I know we've explained it with Steven uh, Plassans, who works for me, that I think it's like my quota to mention his name at least twice in a podcast. But, um, no, him and I really nailed this down. The weird thing happens is if Texas loses to Kansas State and Kansas, right? You get mm-hmm. – and West Virginia beats Iowa State. It turns into a Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Iowa State are tied at seven and two. West Virginia and Kansas State would then be tied at five and four, and Texas would be four and five. Now, when you go through the Big 12 tiebreakers, Blinken, there's a little paragraph there that says there's a two-team tie when you're going through the record amongst the rest of the teams in the conference and a three-way tie atop of the Big 12, head-to-head breaks up that tiebreaker. If there's three teams tied, which is where it got sticky if Kansas State would have won this last weekend, it would have gone to collective record. And I think that's where people were a little bit mistaken. And even in that scenario, Oklahoma would have gotten in. I hope everybody understood what I just said because I know you didn't. Oklahoma (laughs) controls its destiny. Blinken, this is my first question to you. I follow you. You follow me. 
We're sitting here after the Iowa State game, and I didn't think that this could happen. I, I didn't either. Texas, didn't think it could happen. I, it's, it's amazing to me. I mean, I didn't either. I, I thought that at least Kansas State would hold their own the rest of the season. I thought, eh, well, maybe this isn't a, you know, just absolutely terrible team, but they're an absolutely terrible team. And I have no idea how Oklahoma lost to that team. But, I mean, I think that's the big thing with between one of the teams that beat Oklahoma being, you know, holding true and being very good and the other kind of just absolutely dropping off the face of the earth. I think that opened it up for that Oklahoma to get in that second spot. And, you know, you, you say if Oklahoma wins out in these weird um, pandemic times, there's, there's a third option. There, usually it's just win out or don't win out. You lose a game. This year there's a third option in that you don't play any more games. And we're, we've yet to see how that's going to affect, you know, these final standings. Because, you know, as, uh, as we, were just, we were just getting into, there's, the Big 12 has a separate set of tiebreaker rules for unbalanced conference play, which may come into effect here in the coming weeks. I think everybody's been working on the assumption that everybody's going to get all their games in, you know, but we're coming up against it here, and that may or may not happen. So I think the one thing to point out here, when you go into the unbalanced tiebreaker scenarios, they are very similar to the normal tiebreaker scenarios. The biggest difference is, is that the fifth one is, goes to the college football playoff rankings. And that, if it's an unbalanced schedule, the rankings do come into play, which is not typical with the normal tiebreaker. It goes all the way down to a draw, which, by the way, I know you saw me tweet that out about two months ago. I still wish we could have gotten there. <laughs> well, you also have the, the added twist if there's a, a case where a team doesn't play enough games. You can possibly, you know, record-wise qualify for the championship game but not have played enough games to qualify. So, so I, and I want to I run through this real quick. So if Oklahoma, for example, people, if Oklahoma doesn't play their next two games, if their next two games are canceled, Oklahoma will have only played six conference games. Right. No, seven conference seven. games. Seven. And if the average, and I had uh, Robert, who used to work on him, he may still do for Cowboys Ride for Free, the SB Nation Oklahoma State site, one of the greatest followers on Twitter. I'm dead serious. If you go to an Oklahoma State game while he's and go to his Twitter while they're playing, it's incredible. But yeah, he's great. He, he pointed this out that if only the Oklahoma games are canceled, correct, there would be 86 Big 12 games played. It would be 8.6 per team. If Oklahoma only plays seven conference games, they're eliminated because they're not within one game played. Um, well, you, you round it. You round it to the to the nearest number, so it'd right? Be it'd be so it'd be nine. Yeah, it would be nine, um, and you can play one fewer than the average round, whatever their average rounds to. Mm-hmm. So if if, they if, Oklahoma, a game, if another game gets canceled though in the Big Twelve, that's not Oklahoma's. The average number is eight point four, and it rounds down to eight. And Oklahoma back still, down, and Oklahoma and is still in the conversation because they're tied in the loss column. It's it's an amazing scenario. I love the fact, like, I know people are upset with, like, the tiebreakers blinking. Like, they're, they're like, it shouldn't come down to this. Just use the rankings. We did it in no way. Blah, 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 blah. 
Well, it, it's actually kind of cool. Like, if you don't beat, if you're not good enough to beat the fourth ranked team in the Big 12, <laughs> you're got a three way tie atop the Big 12. Then what are we doing? Like, if you if your yeah. loss was to them, or you know, for you lose to the you know, if it gets down to the eighth ranked team and you had lost to them, like you don't belong in the Big 12 championship game. So yeah. it, it's definitely an intriguing um, you know conversation to have. Um, you know, these days that there's really nothing else to talk about. Again, I want to reiterate to people. Unless we are illiterate and Blinken and I cannot read the Big 12 tiebreaker scenarios or anybody can just flat out read them on their own, Oklahoma controls its destiny in the Big 12. And I am not, I'm not taking a shot at anybody. I'm, I, I know, and I'll say this, I know Barry Trammell I, has spoken. We're obviously kind of co-workers in that regard. I've spoken with people over there at the Oklahoma, and, and he had vetted that out through um, Big 12, the Big 12 offices. I don't think that they still – did it right. I think they messed up and gave them something based off the language it says with the tiebreakers. And again, Oklahoma controls its destiny in the Big 12. Your Super Bowl was not too far, not too long ago, Blinken. What is your, what is your favorite part of your Friday before Bedlam or Thursday? Mistaken me. It could be one of the, it's either one of those two days. What is your favorite part? Is it putting the, putting all the stats together or is it the responses? Um, I think at this point, at first it was putting it all together, right? Um, it was, you know, kind of digging in and, and I still do that to some extent, you know, I'll go through and, and pull out new ones and stuff. I think I had 94 to, or this, this year and, you know, I still do that. Um, but I think in the beginning it was about kind of finding those things. Mm-hmm. Now it's about kind of seeing the reaction and, just kind of uh, letting everybody have fun with it. It's, it's, it's really, really fun. And you've taken, like, what people don't understand is so, like, whenever you and I first talked about doing these stats and this and that, like, you and I were probably neck and neck in how many people followed us. And now you have three times the amount of followers that I've – three times, right? Eight times three would be 24. You're in the 20s, thousands. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy taking off. Major respect. I, it's so tough, you know. Like, that's the biggest thing, and you'll get what I'm saying here. Like, people that create content like this, like, it's tough to continue to do it day in and day out and have the content to do it as well as have the personality to do it. And so all credit to you. These stats, the stuff that you throw out, I see that you're on with Daniel Dwyer um, and, and, uh, those, and those guys over at Fox. I know you've been on a number of podcasts. This is me saying credit to you, man. It's been so much fun to watch. And – I, I enjoy it. I have I go back and forth with you sometimes when we whenever I get I find some stat. Um, I think the best one by far that you put out that people were mind boggled by, and I had to I had to, and I've had a couple I've sent to you over the years where I've been confused by it. But the one with the former coach of Oklahoma State that had two or three ties against Oklahoma that had a better winning percentage, yeah, yeah against Oklahoma, yeah. Than Gundy has. That's yeah, Al- Albert Exendine, who was oh one and one in his two years as head coach. Um, which, you know, you take ties in, you know, how ties work, that comes to a 250 winning percentage, which is that, honestly, it's one of the better winning percentages in Oklahoma State history in Bedlam, <laughs> which is just another conversation <laughs> in itself. But, uh, but yes, that one, that one always, uh, I always get the, uh, you know, I can see people's heads tilting to the side, uh, at, you know, through, through the internet almost so we're at a point in the season Blinken where Oklahoma loses two games and I think the thing that shocks Oklahoma fans the most 
about that is that like they're so used to being either you know lose one game and still control your destiny to making the Big 12 championship or winning it. They had two losses. They needed chaos. Oklahoma needed chaos to happen. R.J. Dupree, who won't listen to this podcast, former WWLS, I believe Sports Animal um, host, works down in Dallas or did. That was taking shots at Stephen and I over Oklahoma State, the Oklahoma State-Texas game, if people remember that. Um, That was the trigger. And I think that's the most (laughs) interesting thing here is if you go look at the numbers, I know you're a number guy. Texas's win expectancy to win that game was like 4% based off the final stats. So yeah. the post-game win expectancy was – it's one of Bill Connolly's, like, anomalies of the season, right? Like, he, he, keeps up, he keeps up with those advanced box scores, and that was one of the craziest shouldn't-have-won games uh, of the season. I've never seen something like that, and that just still goes to the improbableness, and I guess it's so 2020 for that to happen. Because, like, if you go back and look at it, and if Oklahoma State wins that game – Oklahoma's in a position where they need West Virginia to beat Iowa State. And even then, Iowa State would have the head-to-head over Oklahoma. Or you're looking at a situation where Oklahoma State needed to lose to Kansas State on the road, they needed to lose to TCU on the road, or Baylor on the road. And if those things didn't happen, Oklahoma would have lost their Big 12 championship streak. So the fact that Texas was able to beat Oklahoma State that Saturday remains one of the important things of this as well as it was important early on in the season for Oklahoma State to beat Iowa State. Now, Iowa State has maintained their course. They've won some games. And Oklahoma is now in a collision course to face Iowa State in the Big 12 championship game. So I'll tell you what, Keegan, we are not talking about assistant coach Bob Stoops. We are not talking about that. You didn't even let me set up. I was hoping that we would start this (laughs) with something different and then I could set up the entire scene. No, you can do whatever you want. I'm not here to tell you what we can and can't do, but I will say we're not talking about assistant coach Bob Stoops on the Inside OU podcast. What a story. Welcome to the Inside OU podcast, everybody. Just kidding. That's probably the vast majority of what we're going to talk about today. No, I'm just kidding. We also have a few more it's things to get mo- to. It's, it's crazy and credit Lincoln, Brady. Of course. We will always credit Lincoln here on this podcast that I've now mentioned three or four times. Uh, everybody, welcome to the Tuesday edition. It's been a minute since we last talked to you. And uh, Keegan's computer is making noises. <laughs> uh, but obviously, West Virginia got postponed, moved, if you will, last week. So I hope everybody enjoyed their Saturdays uh, safely. Hope everybody enjoyed watching a lot of boring football on Saturday. But, you know, that's what it is. But now we are here back on the Inside OU podcast. That's the fifth time. Tuesday, Lincoln Riley talked a few hours ago, Keegan. We met up a little bit later than we typically do because of, I mean, the Thunder had their media day today at the, around the same time, so I was busy. Kind of, right? Uh, I think Mark Dagnall, the Thunder's head coach, talked at 11, and then Darius Baisley screamed at, I'm just kidding, he was angry <laughs> at us, apparently, at around 11.30. So it's been quite the uh, full day for Oklahoma sports media guys and gals. It's been an interesting day because, as we were just saying, like, Lincoln's very media savvy, and credit Jason Kersey for pointing this out. And we all kind of thought it. Isn't it Kersey? Is it Kersey? I thought it was I, Kersey. Well, has he unblocked you yet? He has. Okay, so that's good. We've made progress in the uh, the relations. I think we've made. I think we've made up over the Thanksgiving take. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm really fascinated with 
the relations between Jason Kersey and Keegan Renault. Like, I, I really want to get to know more about your guys' relations. Do you? Yeah. I don't. Well, why not? I think that I don't think that's the uh, friend of the pod, Jason Kersey. I think with Jason, it's just Jason being Jason. Like that's the from best way to put it. From Friday the Thirteenth, kind of. Oh. It's just. I wonder. If again, he, he he disagreed so strongly against the broccoli rice casserole take. I like broccoli. Broccoli rice casserole is among the top things at Thanksgiving. I mean, look, I don't know why we. No, I, I don't. You're know. disagreeing with me. I'm not disagreeing with you. What I'm go ahead and what, block me too. Then no, what I'm pointing out is, I guess this is kind of a byproduct of social media and Twitter that we've kind of devolved into. We must have a take. We must have an opinion oh, on every single damn thing. I complained about it on this podcast months ago when we were talking about, are we going to have a football season? I don't know. I wish leadership was a little bit better and a little bit stronger so that we could have a better understanding of what to do in society, in our communities, and especially projecting you know, a few months from now uh, because apparently we have to politicize a virus. That's where we are. We have to have a take on everything, and so apparently, man, we went down. We went down a quick rabbit hole. Just, I mean, thank God I wasn't recording prior to when I hit the record button. I mean, think about all the things we talked about. We talked about a bunch of recruiting stuff that we won't say because Keegan wants to keep all that information in his head. Oh, we talked about. I will gladly talk about it. We talked about who has the coronavirus on the Oklahoma staff and who doesn't, and we know that for a hundred percent fact because yes. this is the inside OU pocket. Like we're inside the we're inside OU. That's what we're inside. Yeah, it is. That's what we're all about. We're yeah. about being inside things. Yeah, like I, I went to OU and I was inside of it for a while, and then I graduated, and now I'm out. But, but you're still kind of inside. But I'm still of it, inside. You know? Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, that that I think it's important to note that you are still inside OU. It's like I never left. It's weird. Yeah, it's like riding a bike. It's like the name of a podcast. We do need to point out a few things before we get going here, Keegan. One, you stepped in uh, last evening. Yesterday evening, I don't know how we say that in America, uh, but you stepped into the interviewer role for the Media Corner segment with our good friend, Mr. Blinken Riley. How did that go? Because I'll be honest, you sent it to me earlier today, and you sent it to me via a weird email <laughs> apparatus, and I wasn't able to download it, to listen to it, to then put it up. The audio more. was just sent to you. Okay. Okay, thank goodness. So, one, I am awful at my job. No, I'm kidding, I'm not. Two, I just wanted to say for the Patreon subscribers that were waiting and have been waiting and continue to wait, and I apologize. There's been a, uh, let's say it's been a frantic, it was a frantic race to the end of November for SoonersWire.com. So, a lot of focus was sent, or a lot of focus was spent on the website over the last two weeks. Oklahoma controls their destiny. After a weird weekend of college football with Tom Herman almost being, or Tom Herman's now going to be fired. Yeah. With Baylor somehow upsetting Kansas State and Waco. So that's one of the main things we talked about was just like, if you go through every tiebreaker, unusual tiebreakers or this and that, and people will hear this, is that like there is a, there is really the only way Oklahoma doesn't get in is if both games are canceled, they lose a game. Or um, there is not another Big 12 game canceled. So, and in that, you'll hear it in the podcast with Blinken, but... Yes, excited about that. But I guess before we get mainly into OU's, kind of their perspective of how they 
can get back into the Big 12 championship game, even though they more than more than enough control their own destiny. Let's kind of back up, Keegan, to how we got here in the first place since OU didn't play um, on Saturday. And kind of shame on us for not doing a post-game Patreon just from the games on Saturday. And, of course, the Texas-Iowa State game on Friday because while OU didn't play, there were still a lot of fortunate OU things that happened. Very and, fortunate. And it's so funny to me. It feels like... It feels like ever since 2003, anytime OU has, if they've had a legitimate case to make a conference title game or to make a bigger bowl game, because they've lost, you know, a game or so earlier in the season, you look at it and you, at that point and say, if this, if X, Y, and Z happen and OU continues to win, then they can get back. And it seems like every time, 2003, they lose to K-State in the Big 12 title game. But they were so far ahead of everybody the entire year that they were still ahead after getting schlacked by the Wildcats. And then they made the national championship, and they, of course, lose anyway. 2008, everybody remembers that, how that ended up. And now, I mean, there's even been some kind of smaller examples of that since the playoffs have been around. Like, OU's always kind of backing into the fourth spot at the last second. But... You know, we were talking about this after K-State, after Iowa State. Yeah, this is probably not a Big 12 championship team, but if they figure it out, they're the best team in the conference. And, hey, if Kansas State loses a few games and if Iowa State loses again, OU beats Oklahoma State, then OU can maybe find their way back into the conference title game, as silly as that sounds, a month ago. But Skylar Thompson goes down. Iowa State loses to Oklahoma State. Texas loses or Texas beats Oklahoma State. OU destroys Oklahoma State. Iowa State beats Texas. Kansas State loses to West Virginia, and then they lose to Baylor uh, last Saturday. And we are here. We are here now to this point where it's no longer a probably going to happen. It's like a for sure going to happen. OU beats Baylor. OU beats West Virginia. They're in. They're in, and it's it's as simple as that, and it's as simple as Iowa State beating West Virginia this weekend. That thing that makes. Things extremely easy. Oklahoma wins out, has the head-to-head over Oklahoma State. And then, you know, it, even when you get down into the weird scenarios, and we've laid them all out on, on Soonerswire.com over the last week, there's just not a way that if Oklahoma wins out, they don't get in. And by any of the language of the tiebreakers or this or that. But, you know, what we started with, and I think it's the most important and still the biggest story with Oklahoma football, it's not... Bob Stoops returning to coach, I guess, for a couple days or however long it may be. It's that, Brady. We don't know if Oklahoma's playing a football game this weekend. And we kind of got some answer to that today. But even then, like, Lincoln talked yesterday and then they announced the numbers last night. I think it's important to note that there are now 20 more active cases of COVID-19 of student-athletes within the athletic department umbrella, and then there are 10 athletic staff members Yeah, added for this week. That's new cases for this week. That is a problem. Well, before we dive deeper into those numbers, let me just ask a general question, because when this announcement came out earlier today, it made me feel a little bit more optimistic about the game being played Saturday, even though th- these are two completely different sports. But OU finally announced that the UTSA season opener for the basketball team, that was... I don't even remember what the official language was, if it was postponed or canceled. Postponed. It was postponed. Yeah. It's been rescheduled now to Thursday, and it seems like all you know all systems are go for that game to take place. I, I guess that makes me a little bit more optimistic that, okay, it seems like all the positive cases that have been all over the, the athletic program, they should be coming down this week, and that 
players and staff members, hopefully, you know, God willing, because, I mean, this is a football podcast, but I don't want anyone to get sick, you know. Yeah. Um, hopefully everybody's okay. Uh, but I would assume and hope that everybody is starting to test negative this week. And so with the basketball program going ahead and saying, like, yeah, the UTSA game's taking place on Thursday, even though I know that they're not necessarily connected, that just makes me a little bit more blindly optimistic that we will have a football game at 7 o'clock on Saturday. Oklahoma's trying to play this week. Like, don't let this fool you, even if they don't have a couple assistants and a couple coaches on the sideline. Like, they still plan on playing this week, and they feel like they can play this Baylor game. So, but it's going to come down to Wednesday testing. They're going to have to get some guys back that test negative out of having the coronavirus to be able to play this week. I mean, that's the God honest truth. It's going to come down to the Wednesday round of testing and then hopefully no issues on Friday. But as Lincoln said, they have a shot to play. I just, it, it I think it's pretty slim right now, but th- they still hold out hope that they can play Baylor this week. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to come down to the, you know, final day, probably final hour to figure out if Oklahoma is playing football. Um, so, little dive into it I guess is the fact that you know you start doing math right there's 20 new active cases we know the women's basketball program had one at least we know the men's basketball program had one at least and I think it would be fair to assume that there are more than one so say each program has two or three that still leaves anywhere between 10 to 14 cases for the football team yeah which is a which is a major concern because that then wipes out a ton of people in contact tracing um, yeah, well, I mean, Lincoln said today that it's more of a concern with the positives rather than the contact tracing, yep. which I guess to what we could discern at the beginning of the year, it was the opposite of that. It was the contact tracing that was ruining the team's flow and rhythm because a lot of players didn't practice for up to two or three weeks mm-hmm. because of contact tracing. And it's important to note that at 90 days, you have to start getting tested again. So yeah. if uh, these guys that tested positive for the Missouri State game... Those was rolled. Spencer Rattler would be included. <laughs> if the guys that tested positive for the Missouri State game are before it and they had the whole outbreak there, those guys, I believe, should be getting tested again if I'm doing math correctly. And I could be wrong because you got 30 days in, in, you know, in, for September, October, November now. These guys are getting tested again. Um, and that is a obviously, you know, major talking point, you know, that we're going to have to figure out here in the next week or so. But it's, you know, a, a situation down in Norman that is probably one of the wilder ones. I mean, when you think of how this all came together on Tuesday, we do the podcast. Everything seemed fine and dandy. We talked to players and coaches. It's Thanksgiving week. And then Wednesday morning, we wake up Brady and all hell breaks loose. So hopefully for their sake that they get this thing wrapped up, that it's all fine and dandy by Wednesday, Friday. They can play Baylor on Saturday. And then they're at full strength for West Virginia next week. Um, I guess then my f- question back to you, off this is that like what level of concern and I you have pointed this out and I've discredited it because Baylor's so bad and I think Baylor's still not a very good football team. But you're missing five to seven starters. You may be missing three coaches on the defensive staff. Like does that worry you at all, Oklahoma heading into this game that they could potentially lose? Well it's kind of silly to ask me that question because I am nervous at full strength going into a game against Kansas because I I just, I try to always prepare myself for the WTF loss for the, what the hell just happened. Has that not already happened? It has. And you know, twice, you know, this year, that's why this year is a little bit funkier than normal, but Mm -hmm. um, I'm just, I'm a fan. I'm a crazy fan. So 
as excited as I get for Saturdays, I also get very paranoid and scared and worried about like, oh, I just heard a rumor that Spencer Rattler like limped into the stadium. Oh my God, here comes Tanner Mordecai. <laughs> Uh, what if the so, defensive line's all intact? Is that easier concern? Well, look, Baylor is a team that is obviously, I mean, their record is what their record is. They just beat Kansas State, but, I mean, there is that's their best win of the season by far. But Kansas State is what they are as well, and they are a much different team with, sure. with Will Howard than Skylar Thompson. We've talked about that at nauseum here. Having said that, even with Skylar Thompson, Kansas State, I feel like, is they had a ceiling. They weren't, even if they had Skylar Thompson, they may keep OU out of the Big 12 championship, but I don't know if they themselves get in. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that would just benefit Oklahoma State. So that's a different conversation. But with Baylor, they're a team that has some experience winning a lot of games. They're a team that has experience being in a big game in the Big 12 championship. Uh, Charlie Brewer, I don't really like as a quarterback, but he's, I guess, a a poor man's, and I'm sure this is a cliche at this point, he is a poor man's Sam Ellinger. They play exactly the same style of football. So that worries me that he has like his game of the, the game of his life he and may the, have had it last that he week. talks to his grandkids about. Because the dude grew up in, um, in Austin. The dude grew up a UT fan. Yeah. So there's always going to be a little bit more umph in his game when he plays Oklahoma. So having said that, even at full strength, I'd be I'm still nervous just because there's so much at stake for OU and there's nothing at stake for Baylor. So that's how I kind of approach games like this. Uh, but when you say that there are ten to what ten to fifteen, Potent- I mean potentially we're assuming, yeah, yeah. When you look at the numbers and you know where some numbers are for sure, you can kind of then assume a general ballpark number of what OU's football team is dealing with, and you can also assume when you've heard some rumors and innuendo about some of the staff members that may have it. Some. Could you, be can, you can then pinpoint where those 10 or 15 players maybe are coming from. Well, we don't know for sure, and we won't know for sure until Saturday when you are doing all of us a favor and basically counting all the players who are on the field in pads. It's for us. literally <laughs> like checking people in the class. Like it's, you're a substitute teacher, and you're like, Nick Benito, you here? Present? Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Why don't they do a roll call? That would just just help. They everybody. should just hand it out. You know, like a, or a COVID virus list. Yes, or like an injury report. Oh, absolutely. That that should be a thing. Let's do that. That'd be too that. much advantage. For I Baylor love now. covering professional sports. By the way, oh, <laughs> it's the best. Uh, the only thing we have to worry about is like with Billy Donovan is like, so who's starting tonight? And he just like, uh, I'm gonna hold that until it's like that's the one thing that we had to like actually wait for. But um, no, if. If you kind of go into this week knowing that, or assuming, educationally assuming, that 10 to 15 players are potentially out, but they could very well, some of them could test out, test negative, and then be mm-hmm. eligible to play. Um, you can go in, go into this in two different ways, and we talked about this before we recorded. You can go into it optimistically or pessimistically. Optimistically is, well, not all of them are starters. Sure. So, oh, you should be able to handle their business with, you know, most starters intact and then a few backups because that's the good thing about Grinch is he does platoon a lot of people. He does play a lot of guys. Yeah. So th- you are, in theory, prepared for this type of situation, not a pandemic but you are prepared for situation where guys are hurt and guys are injured and you need to rely on some depth so there's that or you can look at it absolutely pessimistically which is of course the obvious uh inverse of that where they're all starters and oh he's going to be trotting out you know Cradell, justin broils dj graham broils uh, no he's out oh he's out oh yeah he's in he's crutches, got, he's right? in, yeah he had a cast he's on his in, foot 
So basically a bunch of inexperienced guys who've played here and there and mm-hmm. a bunch of guys that we know just can't do it. I could tell you this about Jeremiah Cordell. I've heard some really positive things about him in the well, last two, Well, he's slowly weeks. played more and more and more. They I, think he's got a chance to be a really good player. I've been a little bit more um, enthused with his play mm-hmm. because I think going into like maybe the second or third game of the year, basically when Buki started playing like he's played thus far, because like we've said, the Kansas State game is probably the best game of his career. By far. This or Texas 2019. Um, after that game, when it started to become apparent what Buki was, and we didn't see Jeremiah Cordell initially, I th- I thought, is he just a bust? According to what the hype was surrounding his commitment, you know, not yeah. necessarily according to his talent, but what OU hyped him up to be in terms of Lincoln, like yeah, just like fist bumping whenever he committed on ESPN three years ago, and he still hasn't played that much. I was like, eh, maybe he just isn't going to be able to put it together, unfortunately. But ever since then. You know, basically since Texas, boom, boom, boom. There's just been more and more play that I'm like, I think they have something in there. It's just not to the point yet where they feel like if Buki truly starts to have like brain farts all over the field consistently in one game, I don't even know if they're still confident that they can pull him and let Jeremiah Gerdell like handle it all. Sure. And I, this is the thing that we don't really know names or anything, but we could be seeing a lot of heavy dose of 22 this weekend. So we'll just, I guess, leave it at that. Yeah. Um, I do want to run through the timeline because I think it is interesting. So you have what we assume. This is not – we're not reporting this. I don't know 100%. I, I think – We're know, just we're just two guys in my bedroom. Exactly. Inside of you as well. And we're inside, inside, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. So Jaden Hazelwood, Jaden Davis, John Michael Terry, Bryce, and Washington. We strongly believe that those four were COVID issues, correct? Yes. Okay. So you have four. That was, that was talked about on the radio. Yeah. So, so we have four guys that we are going to be able to play potentially. Potentially. So it's important to note that they had they did not announce any new recoveries. Yes. So those guys that had tested positive for the week of bedlam that those guys haven't recovered quite yet, or they haven't tested negative out of um, being on the COVID well, list. Here, here's my quick question: Do they? Their recoveries are they only week to week or are they an accumulation? It, it's, it, no, it's week. Yeah, it's accumulation, but it's also week to week. But Oklahoma, I believe, if I I posted the numbers, I believe they've had two hundred and three total recoveries. So, but for the week of Bedlam, right? They it's been the same recoveries that were last okay. week and this week. So, um, I guess the best hope is they didn't add to the numbers because they had a game postponed. Sure. So yeah, and but they uh, hopefully. I, so through the timeline, you have those four guys that tested positive the week of Bedlam. They didn't play. And then you have a couple, three, four test positive. We both know that on the Sunday testing last week. And then the big jump was on the Wednesday testing. Yeah. And then they also had some more te- test positive on Friday. So from what you and I both know at this point, a couple coaches could test out of it on Wednesday testing. Right, if we both know correctly, um, one can. Then there's two other coaches that we know of that could test out of it on Friday or Saturday, depending on how they do things. So there could be some coaches back, but I believe there were more positives last Wednesday. And if you do the 10 days, that wipes out a bunch of people. Um, I would, I know the two defensive coaches that tested positive last Wednesday 
probably can't coach on Saturday, nor could players that tested positive on Wednesday or Friday mm-hmm. of last week. So Oklahoma, just run through this again real quick. Week of Bedlam had four guys out for COVID. Those guys can probably test out of it and be back. Then on the first round of testing last week on either Sunday or Monday, anybody that tested positive, which what you and I understand were two coaches at the time, maybe one offense, one defense at that time. If I know you we're trying to be as vague as possible here, but um you have till last week, last Sunday, Monday, two coaches and a couple, three players, those guys can come back. So we're looking at two coaches and eight or nine players could potentially return this week that have tested positive. The thing that we we don't know is how many positive cases came on Wednesday and Friday yeah. of last week. We both know two of those two coaches tested positive, I believe, last Wednesday, and I'm about 95 to 100% confident in that. So, And I believe you are as well. So that would put two coaches and anywhere between five to ten players that we know of that could be out for this game. Yeah. Um, so we have that on record. I'm comfortable in talking about that. I know we talked about this before we came on in a little more detail, but I'm comfortable in saying that. So, um, But it's interesting just to look at the timeline. They just, they had an outbreak the week of Bedlam. They clearly didn't under, know that they had one yet. And then a bunch of guys tested positive that Sunday, Monday. And then it's just been a trickle-down effect the rest of the way, which is, again, it's nuts whenever you think about how fast this thing spreads, man. You. These locker rooms, whenever they get a super super spreader event like this, I mean, look at I mean, Baltimore right now, the Ravens. When you look, go look what happened with the Cardinals, the Marlins. Um, it's nuts. So, but yeah, so there's that little. There's some tidbits there for you for your rest of the week or next couple of days. Hopefully, maybe that makes up for the uh, film review yeah, debacle. Like but it kind of it reminds me of what I was thinking. Uh, I guess, like during the period of time that we considered fall camp of this season. Sure. Where, like, the NCAA was releasing their proto- protocols of if you test positive, uh, according to what we knew at the time, I'm, I think this is still kind of the the science behind everything as, as far as what we know about the virus after you've had it and recovered, that you have strong enough antibodies to protect you more so for the next three months. So, I remember McMurphy put out that tweet, like, if you test positive, you don't have to get tested for three months. And I remember reading that tweet going, okay, if you literally test positive on game one, you're probably good. The week of game one, you're probably good for the rest of the season. But if you're OU and you're playing into, um, you know, early December and then early January, yes, like, players might get this twice. So this could be a problem for schools like OU, like Alabama, like Clemson, like all these big schools that are trying to play longer into the calendar year than schools that are just wanting to get in their eight nine games maybe get a bowl game in mid mid to early de- or mid to late december and then call it good so um this doesn't surprise me again i don't want to sound yeah i don't want to sound like i'm i don't care about any of this stuff because all i care about is football i mean they're, they are human beings i want them to to be healthy and safe and, you know, I was listening to Lincoln Riley's press conference today at the station with uh, Jerry Ramsey. We both had the same opinion. Lincoln Riley and I mean, press conferences are what they are. They're never fun for anybody. Um, but he 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 could potentially coach four more games. And he just does not sound like a guy who is excited to coach four more. Like he sounds like I have no doubt that he is going to do his best job. Lincoln Riley is one of the best coaches in the country when 
when and if games are played on Saturday, he's going to have his team ready. Like, I know that. But if you just sit down and tell him, hey, you've got, potentially got four more games of this left, he, I can just imagine him going, oh, boy. <laughs> like, he just sounds like he's done with this shit. It's one of those things, like, yesterday, I would have, if I would have told, you you know, we would have had this conversation yesterday at the teleconference, I would have been like, there's no way they're playing football this week. If you just hear the tone in his voice, how tired he sounded, and then today happened, and I, again, I think it, the Bob Stoops thing took a lot of the light off of what's happening in Norman. Yeah, we've buried the lead. We'll get to that in just a few seconds, my lovelies, but continue. Um, and you'll know when, you'll know when we do. I will set it up perfect, but, um... Yeah, I don't think this is a guy that – I think he understands what's happening within the program right now, and he's trying his best to protect the players and protect the coaches and do what he can. I just think that he feels as if this isn't a lost cause anymore. That's my biggest like tone shift from yesterday to today. Yeah. I definitely felt yesterday he thought that this was a lost cause. I thought today that he was a little more up and giddy which things can change in 24 hours. That means probably testing went better on Monday, Sunday than what they would have anticipated. Um, but it's okay. I think that they will, you know, they'll get through this. They'll play one more game. They'll qualify for the Big 12 championship as needed. Um, it's just an interesting scenario, debacle, you know, and it's kind of like, hell, the movie Inception. Like, you just never really could figure out what's going on, and then next thing you know, bam. Oh, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio was awake at the end. What's his name? Who who did that? Chris Nolan, he already confirmed that he was awake. The little spinner top thing, it, it wobbles and then falls down. I just explained to you because you were like, I don't understand Inception because I'm Keegan Renault and I, I think the movie's too, too over my head. Did, did you just blow that for me at the end? Yeah. I've, I've, I mean, The movie's been out since I think I was still in, was I still in high school? I mean, great movie. I mean, it's it's okay. I've seen it's better. Great movie. I've seen better, and I've seen better Chris oh, Nolan yeah. movies. M- major movie critic Brady Crantham. Well, I like my movies. You, you like your. You, you my, know what? My, we should start a my, movie podcast. My, my movies. My my my, my <laughs> movie quotes. <laughs> Speaking of, real quick before we get into the lead of this podcast, of this episode, anything else you want to tell us? I think it's about an, your. In the last 24 hours, your football experience, has anything occurred that it, it roused your... I had a your, good tweet last night. No, I don't care about your tweets. I, I care about my quotes, so please. It's, I just thought he was going to play more last night, Ooh, Brady. Who are you talking about? It's okay. I don't. There's no need to inject any audio into this podcast. Who, that doesn't, who are you talking about? <laughs> Say his is name. It, is it weird the way that came out, though? Like, f- reports or that Jalen Hurts... Oh, or, there it is! We did it! We did it! There were reports that Jalen Hurts was getting more reps with the ones and then plays like three snaps. Carson Wentz is bad. Carson Wentz is... uh, He needs to go back from whence he came, you know? It's just ain't it. I've never been a Carson Wentz fan. I've never been a Carson Wentz believer. I'm just like... Eh. He's okay. He's just big. He's got a big arm. He's sometimes accurate. I don't care. Shout out Chisholm Holland. I know I know he wants to be a Carson Wentz believer to the end, but good thing I got you that Jalen Hurts jersey uh, before, you know, it's all like it's just mainstream to like Jalen Hurts because at some point he's going to lead Philadelphia to a Super Bowl and it's going to be so funny to watch the uh, watch your reaction 
watch everybody else's reaction. You say Jalen Hurts lead Philadelphia to a Super Bowl? Oh yeah, within the next two years. I mean, I think there's a chance that they may draft a quarterback. This I mean, year. probable World Cup. Are they going to draft Sam Ellinger? That would just perfect everything, wouldn't it? No, they won't draft Sam Ellinger. Who will draft Sam Ellinger? Someone will. Why? And then <laughs> then make him a basically Taysom Hill. Um. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about Texas Iowa State because that game was important for mm-hmm. OU. Man, that was very so, important. That was so funny, Sam. It. Who was, it was on the, the call? It was the opposite of the Oklahoma State game. Who was on the call of that game? Was it an ESPN like it was B ABC, squad? Yeah, it was like C or D squad. I yeah. Think. And right before Sam Ellinger took that, had that play where he took that sack that knocked them a little bit further out of field goal yeah. range. I mean, the color guy was just like, you just can't take a sack here. And then Sam Ellinger proceeds to stand in the pocket for four seconds. Yeah, way too long. Yeah. And then it's not like he just got drilled. He just stood in the pocket too long. And Iowa State just got to him. And he was like, okay, I'm down now. It's like, what the hell? You, you have been at school forever. And you make a play like that. They so Texas at the end of that game in the they're second so half. Bad, they man. went they went raid with a quarterback that's not raid. I mean, there was just there was no need for it. They were running the football well. They Sam Ellinger was getting you chunk yards on some scrambles, this and that. So no, nah, they again I said it's like the opposite of the Oklahoma State game. Like Texas should not have lost that game based off when you look at the stats, but then they did, and it's it makes everything perfect and now well, I think it is interesting, and in talking to people down at Texas, that doesn't sound like Urban Meyer's all that candid about that job at Texas. Why right would now. anyone want that job? No, I agree with you. Unless I, I you are an up-and-coming group of five coach like Luke Fickle, why would you want that job? Man, they should go get Luke Fickle. Why should why here? Here's my question: Is why should Texas go that route again? They already got the former hot group of five coach in Tom Herman, and it has not worked. So you know, you know, it's funny. Go look at all the former American Conference head coaches that went and got big jobs, and look at how their programs are doing. Justin Fuente, Virginia Tech, he's about to get fired. Tom Herman from Houston, he's about to get fired. Um, there's a there's one other one I'm thinking I'm. We're, I am not nailing down. So yeah, that does make me pause on Luke Fickle a little bit, but uh, but no, it was a uh, glorious day for content. I mean, it was a content machine on Friday with the Texas losing with the way they did. Which, by the way, credit Cameron Dicker. That field goal, if he would have not hooked it, that thing was good from seventy. He kicked the shit out of that. A fifty-seven yarder. Yeah. Oh my. God, I know it didn't go in. But. I, I, of course, like watching Texas lose, but, man, like, I, I feel a little bit more human sad when it's because a kicker misses a field goal. Sure. Now, unless it's the Gonzalez kid from Arizona, because every time I pay attention, that motherfucker misses every clutch field goal he's asked to kick. He was with the Browns, right? Wasn't he with the Browns a couple years ago and Before did that? Before Seibert? Yeah. Yeah. Like Zane I, Gonzalez? I, I feel like Austin Seibert would be a better... Sure, probably better would. go. And I'm not a big Austin Seibert fan by as any a, means. As a kicker, he should have been a punter. He was really he good should at punting. have been a punter. He was really good at punting. Yeah. Um, but I think, and then the other, you talk about I would say Texas, and then we've already talked about Baylor Kansas State a little bit. It's just, it's so crazy how things have fallen the way for Oklahoma. I mean, think about this, Brady. Yeah, it's it's if Texas. If Texas doesn't beat Oklahoma State that Saturday in the most improbable way they've ever won a football game, maybe with gifting being gifted four turnovers or five, a kickoff return for a touchdown, a roughing the 
punter penalty on one of the final drives of the game that ended up, I believe, giving the lead to Texas. Like, Oklahoma's not in the situation they're in. They're hoping for Oklahoma State to lose a game to TCU or Baylor, and they're hoping for Iowa State to lose to West Virginia. And if Iowa State loses to West Virginia, um, even then that keeps Oklahoma out. It's just so improbable. Um, it's it's nuts. Um, credit, I was Matt Campbell, who's now probably the leading candidate for the Michigan job whenever that opens up at the end of the year. So it's uh, it's crazy times in the Big 12. Uh, and I will make this comment. Like, you before – you want to get in recruiting, I would assume, before finishing it up with Bob. But oh boy, I, I do think it's interesting. Like whenever you think about this, like Texas, will they be good by the time this conference uh, the is grand done? rights are up? Yeah, like, like, and at that point, then my question is, if if the answer is no, if they won't be back back by that time, Brady. What value is it for Oklahoma to stay in a conference with Texas? Oh, man this this podcast is going to be about two hours long, isn't it? So, no, it's I not. I um I understand that question because of how comically bad Texas is, mm-hmm. but there is now precedent for rivals who were once in the same conference who now change conferences to not play each other anymore. In the event where OU and Texas are not in the same conference within the next 10 to 12 years, I still think that they would play each other because I think both schools recognize the vast importance of playing each other. Yeah, I agree. There is only state pride importance involved when it concerns Texas and Texas A&M And playing. like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. And yeah, if OU and OSU switch conferences, it's only state pride on the line. So if they didn't play each other, for one, I think that would benefit Oklahoma State because they get that monkey off their back because they're sure. not getting it off on the field. But... Um, I think OU and Texas would still find a way to play each other because it's, it's just better for college football and for both programs. But, like I said, there is precedent for rival schools to no longer play each other, so I don't want that whatsoever. I feel like Oklahoma's going to the Big Ten. I hate that. I, I hate that thought. I don't want Oklahoma playing cold-weather games in fucking Illinois in November. I don't want to play Iowa. I don't want to play Rutgers. I don't want to play Maryland. None of that sounds fun. Playing Ohio State, Michigan, fun. Penn State, Nebraska. Penn State, Wisconsin, sure. Nebraska go piss up a rope. They, they, they made their bed. Yeah, I agree. They're they're traitors, and I don't like traitors. Um, yes, playing three or four of those schools in a fourteen-team conference now with OU joining it and probably another school or two. You know, it's going to be Kansas. Big, it's going to be a bigger school. Playing three or four schools in your conference and not even them every single year because of divisions, it doesn't excite me, especially moving north. That's the big problem with Nebraska. They can't recruit Texas anymore. They can't recruit a part of the country that they would recruit to remain relevant because no Texas high school kids want to go up to play November football games in Iowa City. Sure. DMV is important for Oklahoma in this conversation. They're starting to recruit well. St. Louis as well is another big recruiting base that Oklahoma can use. Kansas and Kansas City probably dip into that a little bit more as well. Um, Oklahoma, and I'm sure DFW would still be fine. But you do lose access to Houston, which is a big focal point of Oklahoma's recruiting ground. just all of East Texas. Yeah, East Texas. Um, so many great football players that have played at OU. Clayton from East. Smith from Texarkana. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess that's now, more Northeast Texas. but Now, the thing I will recognize is when you compare OU to Nebraska, if you just say, well, if OU leaves the Big 12, they'll just end up like Nebraska because they're not a – you know, they're a blue blood, but so was Nebraska at one point, and I still think that they are, despite of what the 
shit no, they've thrown not. out there. They are, Keegan. No, it's a not. different conversation for the now. The podcast may last two hours, so um, that's your fault. No, no, no. Like whatever. Um, the thing that OU has to their benefit compared to Nebraska is that they are just simply closer to Texas. Yes, I agree. So you can still convince, you know, high school parents, high school kids that you, your friends and family don't have to go that far to watch you play you know, for home games. Mm-hmm. So OU will always have that advantage compared to a Nebraska, which is literally on an island in the middle of nowhere in the center of the country. So that is what it is. Um, but I guess to the original, or what, what were you going to say? Oh, if we're going back to the original, I, I have another comment back to this kind of conversation, but what were you, you going to say back to that? Well, can OU afford to have Texas be this bad until the grant of rights are up? No, I don't of, think so. I mean, or is Texas going ever going to be good until the grant of rights for the Big 12 are up? I mean, I think they will. I mean, if you just look at Texas historically, that they, they, they've had two great coaches, and won't... The drop-off from Daryl Royal to Mac Brown is, in all due respect to Bob Stoops, and you know it's well-documented, I forgave him, but the drop-off from Daryl Royal to Mac Brown is like a similar drop-off from Barry Switzer to Bob. You know, they're both Hall of Fame, amazing, all-time great coaches, but Switzer won three titles and won at a rate that Bob did not... Well, I'm sure the winning percentage is a little Bob bit Bob won at a really high rate. Yeah. But- but Bob won one national title and yeah. got embarrassed in a few others. Barry won three, got embarrassed Just in one, a few. and almost won another. Almost won two more. Yeah. So again, like we're you're comparing an all-time legend to a legend. Sure. Now with Texas, their other coaches that they've hired basically since Royal have been basically like Tom Herman, if not just a little bit better, in between Mac Brown and yeah. Royal. And like. Tom, like Makovic, Fred Akers, like yeah. those were guys that would occasionally have like some top 10 teams, but they would never put it all together. They were never able to put it together all the talent that they had. Um, it's just a different type of job than just insert big time college football program here. Go coach it. Mm-hmm. You can't just be a good head coach like that's it's well documented what it takes to be the uh, head man in charge in Austin. You got to be a politician. You got to be a head coach. You got to be um, a smooth talker in terms of recruiting, in terms of the big wigs, the donors, all that circus that makes up the University so of Texas. So Herm for Texas 2020 is what you're saying. So you're with me. Who, Her, uh, Herm Edwards? No, like when we've talked about that, like I think that that's a fantastic out-of-the-box yeah. hire. But unfortunately, uh, there's still a lot of racism in Austin, and I don't know if they want to hire an old African American coach. Well, yeah, I'm sure that they, is me I'm assuming sure get for it. Austin, not my thoughts, because I, I think that would be, I would be scared as an OU fan. Like, oh, they're going to get somebody with NFL experience that is a really good recruiter and it's, has built in a short amount of time a fairly solid program at Arizona State. Uh, uh-uh. uh yeah, please do something well, else. Well, and the biggest thing too with Herm is that he's a CEO and he's running Arizona State like it's an NFL franchise. There you go, and. I think that's what Texas needs. I mean, you look at what Alabama's doing with Saban. Like, Saban clearly hasn't been that focused on coaching and development and this and that, and being that part of the program down there because their defense has gotten worse over the last three to four years. So, um, what my comment was going to be, one, Texas needs to be good heading into this grant of rights, or I think there really is going to be a split between Oklahoma and Texas. Because, again, Oklahoma doesn't need – we've learned this now for the last ten years or last – six years now, Brady, is that Oklahoma doesn't need Texas to be really good. Like, 
Texas hasn't been that good the last six years, and Oklahoma's about to win their sixth straight Big 12 championship, and they're surging to going to new heights as a football program that they haven't been yeah. s- in a, in since the uh, mid-2000s. So that's, that's true, and OU is on a trajectory where we all kind of feel like next year, if everything goes according to plan, they're going to be on the short but list it, of teams it sets that can... But it sets themselves up as well for the three, four years after. Like, yeah, exactly. Oklahoma looks really good for the next five years. Well, what I was going to say is, because I've had this conversation a ton of times with friends or whatever, and um, there is some historical context and facts to support this, but it's history, and I know that has nothing to do with the present and the future. Um, and a lot of it's also kind of philosophical. As much fun as I love or as I have, um, watching Texas suck, and I do love watching them suck, I think there is something to be said about your rival being fairly good because if they suck, you the, the ability for you to become complacent becomes more and more realistic. Sure. It, Bob, that mean that, that's what happened with Bob. Like yeah, They beat the crap out of him. Texas 10, started 11, to fall 12, off the face 13, of the earth, and Bob 11, understood 12. that all I got to do is beat Oklahoma State to win this conference. Like, okay, we got that in the bag. And, and I, you didn't. Not all the time. Yeah. Um, but I feel like if your biggest rival, the team that you kind of set the bar at, if they're so bad for so long, th- that has the potential to creep into your program. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, oh, all we got to do is beat this sorry-ass team. <laughs> and, I mean, that's philosophical. You can look at when OU wins national titles historically. It's around the same time that Texas is also fairly good. You know, a top 15, top 10 perennial power when texas is bad OU. i mean this is a little bit different this era um but historically when texas was bad OU was kind of bad so maybe i'm looking at it too much from a historical lens so um i miss the days when OU in texas was like the best game of the year i miss the days when that was a top five top ten game every single (laughs) year and winning that game other than just bragging rights and pride it meant a little bit more so maybe i i missed that so i want texas to be better but i'll tell you this they're not getting urban meyer and even if they did urban meyer's old and can't remember a lot of things that professionally help him yeah and that this is what i was gonna say and i i tweeted this out on saturday because i thought i was very impressed by notre dame against north carolina i figured they yeah. would struggle a lot more See, that's the biggest difference, and you know where I say on this. There's five blue bloods in college football. It's Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Alabama, and USC. That's I think I believe those are the five teams that I've included. Well, I mean, if you're not going to make Nebraska a blue blood, but you're going to say USC is, like, then you're – I don't know where your logic's coming from. Well, it's just – I don't know if it's USC the one – there's five teams, and I've said this before. I don't know if it's USC the one that's included – um, but there are five, I believe I'm saying this right, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Alabama for sure. And there's a fifth one that it's either USC or something. I've tweeted this out. Regardless, the difference between like Notre Dame, that it fell off for a little bit there the last three to four years, and everybody else that's a blue blood, yep. is that they have an identity. Brian Kelly has an identity. And it's extremely important for for something like that to be like, what is Nebraska's identity? Like, I don't know what they're trying to do offensively when you watch them. I don't know what they're trying to do defensively. What is Texas? What are they trying to do offensively? I don't know. They It's different I, game in, game out. I'm going to need you to recognize, though, Keegan, that if we just transported us into the 90s, sure. if podcasting existed back then, and let's say we're covering, uh, let's say we're covering Nebraska because Nebraska was awesome mm, unbelievable. in the 90s. Unbelievable. What? 
with your logic, you would not put Oklahoma as a blue blood because at the time Oklahoma was sure. they were not just bad, they were awful. They were they were worse than what Nebraska is now. Because yeah. Nebraska's bad, but they were not a gigantic joke and a dinosaur. Nebraska's a joke right now. What do you mean? They've They're been a, joke a joke on the field. They've been a joke the last three years on the field. Go back and watch some old nine like late nineties OU. Oh games. no, sure. They lost games that they shouldn't that Oklahoma in the history of the program should oh, it, never it lose. Just, it's more just of a Whenever you talk about Nebraska, like I know USC's a dumpster fire as well out there. They, you know, won a Rose Bowl recently, had a you know top quarterback in the draft, this and that. Nebraska hasn't had anything like that in a long time since Dominic and Sue and Bo Pelini was winning nine games a year. Um, I saw the that good old fr- days. Frank Frank Solich day was the other day or something that Nebraska reached like four losses or something, and that Frank Solich was fired after Osborne retired yeah. for winning ten games. Nebraska had this problem where I think they realized okay, we, we can't run the triple option anymore because the game is just evolving and we need to evolve with it. But they went from such a gigantic shift. Like, it would have benefited Nebraska, I feel like, if what they're going through right now happened after Solich. Sure. And then they kind of found their way into a West Coast offense or a more of an air raid type offense. Mm-hmm. But they went straight from the triple option to West Coast, and that culture shift was just too much to bear. Mm-hmm. And then from, from then on, they were just kind of lost in this, I don't know exactly what we are anymore. We used to be a triple option wishbone powerhouse, and now you know, we're in the middle of America. We're not close to Texas. We're not close to California. We're not close to the South. And a lot of players don't want to come here. I don't know what we are. Yeah, so, sure. No. They just don't have an identity, and that's a, the thing is like when you watch Notre Dame is like they've been the same kind of team. They've run the same stuff. They've been this way offensively, defensively. They just haven't been nearly as good, and now they've got better players, and they've p- kind of put it all together. So credit Brian Kelly and Notre Dame for that. That's just I think it's it's so important. Whenever you talk about the Blue Bloods that are still playing well, Michigan has no identity. Nebraska doesn't. Texas doesn't. Um, I don't know if Florida State's at the table. They're terrible. Um, Programs go through lulls. Yeah, not not like what Nebraska and Florida State's going. Like Florida State's, you know, they won a national championship in 2013 or 2014, whenever it was. But or 2013, they won one. They beat whoever they beat. If it, I mean, if Auburn, if their lulls last longer than 10 years, I think that's when we start having the conversation of is this program dead? Well, like Michigan, if you really really think about, it, I know they were ranked top 10 recently, like in the last five to 10 years, but you know they haven't won anything either. So Texas hasn't won anything in a decade. It's I think it's fair to question like blue blood status for those teams. Um, so no, but. I think it's, you know, I'll swing it over to this and I'll swing it into the next topic at the end too, but Uh-oh. Emeka Ibuka? Oh yeah. Raise your raise your eyes a little bit at that. Yeah. Perk your ears up. It's funny, like who was the five-star receiver that committed a few months ago and it like it's just like Mario or uh, Luther Burden the 2022 kid. Luther Burden yeah. and was that Darby kid from Edmond Santa Fe? Uh no, T- Talon Shetron. Talon Shetron. Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> It's funny, like, oh, you're just getting all these guys, like, committed or coming onto campus, and, like, all the tea leaves are pointing to, like, oh, you has a really good chance at this, you know, number one receiver, this top, you know, five-star kid, and it's just like, another day at the office. Sure. You remember when signing um, Josh Jarboe was like, wow, they no, got... No, I don't. They re- got, I don't remember. That they was before got, my time. They got a, a five-star receiver? Oh, my gosh. Trey Matoire. Trey Matoire? Oh, God, and then he got handsy. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to think like you know early Stoops teams. You know they relied on Antoine Savage, Curtis Fagan types. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Clayton was not a 
highly touted kid coming out of high school. I think he might have been a four-star, though, or maybe a three-star. Uh, but he became what he became in college. Uh, Malcolm Kelly was a highly ranked kid, but I think he was a four-star as well. He wasn't mm-hmm. a five-star. I mean, if you look at it, let's just cut to the chase here. You look at it, Oklahoma might have five five-star wide receivers on the same team. And Stogner at tight end, who was a four-star, but he was the best tight end in the country. And Marvin Mims was a top 200 recruit. That's so dumb. (laughs) That's going to be one of those things where, like, 10 years from now, like, remember when Marvin Mims was a four-star? Yeah, (laughs) no doubt. Because he was... Just because he was my height. He was my uh, my superlative for him for the recruiting class was that you'll appreciate him when he's gone. You will. Yeah, he won't be he won't be the highest drafted guy. He won't be this. He won't be that. But damn it, he's gonna catch. He's gonna have a thousand yard receiving season here next year, two years from now. I mean, he's just going to. He's that good. Um, so no, Mecca Buka is the guy, Brady. I, I we've got we've got this coming, and apparently, at some point in the next few weeks, there's gonna be like one week. Oh, he's gonna get the number one guard in the country and the number one tackle in the country the following week. It's yeah, uh, so the three remaining offensive linemen, the big fish out there, Savion Bird's commitment dates December 16th, Bryce Foster's December 18th, and Tristan Lee is January 2nd. I'm pretty confident in all three of them if we're having this conversation today on December 1st. So, yeah, I think, like, a lot of people are dismissing, I think, too much the fact that Bryce Foster came up to visit Oklahoma on his own without his mom who's on Texags posting as a mm. message board member which is crazy but uh Mrs. Foster if you're listening to this I'm not taking a shot at you and then uh Oklahoma's gonna get Tristan Lee and then Savion Bird's the interesting conversation and it's crazy that that's you in Oklahoma Brady soul smooth didn't Oklahoma lose an offensive lineman or defensive lineman from Kansas to SMU a couple years ago, if I remember correctly? Well, when uh, Chad Kelly was the head coach, what was his name? Oh, the, yeah, yeah. The, the Clemson guy, the, the, guy, then the Arkansas guy, and then he just sucked. And Yeah, now, or not Chad Kelly. What's his name? Uh, Morris, Chad Morris. Chad Morris. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because it's uh, – what's Chandler, his name? Chandler Ch- Morris's dad. Chandler Morris's father. Yeah, who's now the offensive coordinator at Auburn. Did we just Auburn? trash two potential OU players as Who's Paris? now the offensive coordinator at Auburn, who's awful. Oh, maybe that's why Calcaterra went there. I mean, I'm sure he won't be playing for the same head coach if he – Whenever it's all said no, done. Oh, no. I mean, what's his name? Gus Malzahn always gets a contract. <laughs> yeah. No, um, recruiting is picking up, though. Next two weeks should be really fruitful for Oklahoma. You've got Jordan Gilbert, safety from the state of Louisiana. That's still on the board. Emeka Buka is visiting Oklahoma this weekend. Kamar Wheaton's out there. No one knows what's going on there. Don't listen to anybody that says they know anything. No one knows. It's only Kamar knows. And I, I, I think he'll sign with Oklahoma, but I'm not – obviously, no one really knows what's happening there. So, could be a big finisher down the end. But a visit weekend, Brady. I think it's interesting. Like, you're in the height of a pandemic in a state that's doing one of the worst dealing with this COVID-19 issue. And now you're going to have a bunch of families visiting Oklahoma. Um, What is your wager that these families are going to stay be staying at the Renaissance where the uh, normal visitors come in and stay like they did for the uh, Sooner Summit? Oh... That wasn't weird at all. No, it's not. No. This is a we- this is just a weird season. That wasn't no, yeah. It, I, I mean, I, I just think it's funny that whenever they did the visit the 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 big Sooner Summit that they all stayed at the same hotel where the recruits normally stay for official visits. Yeah. Huh. 
<laughs> it's just a, you know, it's just a coinkadink, man. Like, it is. No, you do you're not right. believe in coincidences. So, are you a man of fate? <laughs> so, they're having a visit weekend this weekend. It sounds like you're gonna have a handful of guys up in town, ta- uptown, or up in Norman. And Oklahoma needs this game to be played on Saturday, which it, so it all comes back full circle to this whole podcast to where Oklahoma needs to play Baylor. They need to get the COVID situation under wraps. And if that happens, they're going to have a bunch of guys in town. So there you go. There's uh, there's the recruiting. And I'm sure we'll know more on Thursday in terms of recruiting and we could touch more on there. But to the... I don't want to touch them. Oh, they're, they're now this is the <laughs> best. Minors. This is the best. This is the best. He's going to be... On the sideline, Brady. High crown. <laughs> headset on. Mask on. No. His son's going to be playing. I forgave him, okay? Like, I forgave him. And they're playing Baylor at home, which know. makes it even better. We're uh, well up. Go out there. Bob go Stoops oh, no. has returned. No. Brady, Trantham, oh. it has happened. Let's not overreact to this because it's really not a huge deal. It's just for us to talk about it and get the talk of COVID away from Oklahoma. But Bob Stoops has returned to the practice fields, Brady. Thoughts? Yeah. I'm not even going to throw – I'm not even going to set it up even more than this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I jokingly sent out some texts and tweets. Oh, the tweet – that you your quote tweeted me was hilarious. Oh, that and then uh, I told – I might have told my dad that we're doomed – um i always point to this is this is me joking and this is not me serious but this did actually happen but i'm joking about it now um so why did buddy Heald and the uh the 2015 tuners get their ass kicked by villanova you ask i'll tell you why because the day that they left the day that they flew from norman to houston to go play that game oklahoma basketball twitter account posted a video of bob soups coming into the locker room before the team boarded the plane and said well, oh you well, would well, you would go out there go uh, go win chip chip <laughs> and i sent the tweet to my dad and to some of my other family members that i tailgate with and i was like we're we're doomed and guess what buddy healed buddy he'll deserve better he deserved better <laughs> uh, no, no no look um so after i got the jokes out um, yeah, it, it's, it's badass. It's kind of cool. It. Like it, it, like I will admit it is kind of cool. Um, just the historical significance and the uniqueness, every, every little descriptor you could think of, of potentially Bob Stoops being on the sideline coaching in some capacity, uh, for the Oklahoma Sooners with Lincoln Riley as the head coach and Bob Stoops is, um, an assistant or a defensive coordinator. We don't know that just seems so cool. And I would imagine from Baylor's perspective, they're already like, God dang it, we got to play Oklahoma after we had our biggest win of the season. That's already here. Now they have Bob on the sideline. <laughs> no. It's like, all right, it comes. Uh, now they're going to run their wishbone. They're going to have uh, uh, J.C. Watts, Billy Sims, Lightout Carr. They're going to have the Boz, too. It's, it's just a nostalgia tour. So good luck, Baylor. They're all going to be in their primes, oh, by this the way. Is, this I, is prime prime bob stoops this is not current bob stoops i love this story so much i mean how it's can cool. you not it's cool like i but i will say keegan if the game's played <laughs> even if ou loses because they don't have one starter playing and it's nothing but the tanner mordecai show with all the back it's rattlers okay i'm just saying even if that's the true reason why they lost 
You know how hard it is going to be for me to uh, not very say. Very difficult. Son of a bitch. Bob, I forgive you. And then and then I just don't forgive him. <laughs> this is the greatest story. I mean, and it's just from the aspect of like, it wouldn't be as good as it is if he hadn't gone on this tequila tour. The fact that he's been out selling tequila and as a partner with rock and roll tequila. Is he drinking it? That's the thing. It's like there's so many great images you have in your head. Like defense gets a turnover. They all have their fists up and Bob's over there double fisting two shots of tequila, of rock and roll tequila for the defense. I mean, there's just so much that you can imagine. Now, what are the odds that Bob Stoops coaches on Saturday? What do you think? I mean – for like in reality i just don't see it happening like what are the odds that he coaches like legit coaches on saturday i think that they're fairly high and i'm just basing it off of rumors that i've heard according to what coaches are out currently sure if you would think that the person calling plays what his replacement here would, let's just say this what if, his if replacement grinch or or manning can't coach I, I think you're thinking of the wrong one. I think if Odom, Odom, yeah, if I think Odom would be the next in line. Odom's linebackers, right? Yeah, he would. He would call the defense if Grinch couldn't. Well, I'm just thinking from it from a perspective of Bob Stoops is a secondary coach classically. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like that's what he played. That's what he coached when he was an assistant at Kansas State, and then became a defensive coordinator at Florida. Then got the head coach at OU. And was basically the safeties coach at OU during his time. Yeah, DB's so him and Mike. So if one of those two coaches can't go Saturday, I'm just assuming Bob just slides into that role yeah. because while he's not been hands on with the program, he like Lincoln Riley said, he's an institutional advisor. Like he's still technically employed by the program, so that they can do this legally, and it just makes sense. He hasn't been hands on, but he has a when good did he get his new contract? I think it was so he had that thing a year after he, he retired where he was. Like a member of the athletic, athletic department. department, yeah. And then that went away. You got but he paid was like, f- <laughs> like a hundred fifty, two hundred. Trust me, 000. I didn't like that either. But no. he went and coached for the XFL, and then that job went away with OU because he couldn't affiliate with both. So when did he get hired? I've, again? Al- I've always assumed that Bob and OU would have a strong so relationship. Oklahoma, so. what we're saying here, what we have broken down on the Inside OU podcast because that's what we do. Yeah, we get inside. Bob has gotten no matter how tight let go from the XFL and has been hired back by Oklahoma. So you're saying he's just like Lane Kiffin. He he gets he gets out of a job and then falls up into another one. So, yes, but my point is is that Oklahoma rehired him back in a pandemic for how much money? Someone someone file a FOIA. We need to get on top of this. Yeah, what if he gets paid more than Lincoln? <laughs> I imagine he makes probably like 50 thousand maybe hundred thousand that's most but it's uh it's no it's such it's, a great it's, story, a, t- it's a tax write-off oh yeah it's <laughs> such a great it's such a great story like just the aspect of the that bob is back and like that's the other thing too because it's crazy like you know someone asked the larry and turner yell like what was it like having bob stoops back and i'm like so the thing it's like man like these guys really didn't get coached by bob it's been that long dty 2018 class he's a junior. yeah you're right pat fields he's a junior um, yeah, wow. Isaiah Thomas would have been a Bob guy, right? 2017, 18, 19, 20 is the fourth year. Yeah. So 2017 was Lincoln. 2017 class? Oh, that Bob. class. Okay, you're Bob. right. Yeah. So Isaiah Thomas did. None of the linebackers did. Or no, Brian Mead. 
Trey Brown did. Trey Brown was recruited by Bob and yeah. Mike. So he's been around. Yeah, Mike's um, guys are Trey Nor- <laughs> <laughs> That was perfect. Trey Norwood, right? 2017 class would have been Trey Norwood because he had been a freshman because he played in that Bedlam game. So Trey Norwood was recruited by Bob. So there's only like 10, 11, 12 and guys that Caleb Kelly, who's been around. And they've been around Bob, I'm sure, a, lo- a ton. You think he's ever shown up like a little tipsy to practice? I don't know. Why That'd not? Be great. Why not? You're retired. He's You're ro- he just rolls up in his million dollar golf cart from driving right. over from his because isn't his house located down over by that uh, CCS the athletic the baseball field? His yeah, house is it, located. It's like far west Norman. Is I'm, it west or is it east? Well, it's west. Like if you're, yeah, if you're looking at a map, it's in West Norman. Oh, West. I'm an yeah. idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Because I, I, you, you can see it. Coming from Edmond, it's east. Yes. Well, it's to your right, not east. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I messed that up completely. But, yeah, he just drives his million-dollar golf cart from there over to practice and just rolls up. I'm not assuming Bob Stoops drinks and drives, but, um, no. Well, that's not what I'm saying. It's it's making Rolls up this drinking his Arnold Palmer. It's making if the game is played, and even if OU is out some players, if they, I mean, they were out some very key players against Oklahoma State and kicked the, the living shit out of them. So even if they're out some key players <clears throat> and take care of business, this is making this probable, you know, dominant OU victory that's over within the first two quarters a little bit more interesting. You know what I mean? So sure, I think historically it's cool. I think picture wise, like image wise, it's pretty cool. Um, and I, I'm sure the players, even even though like you just pointed out that more the vast majority of the team was either not recruited by Bob or at least um, not recruited or coached by him in any capacity. Um, I'm sure that they love. I'm sure that they like if Lincoln had it like had to announce like so Bob Stoops is going to be coaching for us for the time being while coaches recover from uh, the virus. I'm sure there was a gigantic roar of like this is awesome. Oh yeah. That had to have been very po- – I mean, like, the guys that have been down, like, emotionally and mentally the last couple weeks because of what's been going on or the last 10 days, like, the fact that Bob showed up probably boosted their morale just a little I'm bit. I'm trying to think of, like, a movie connection here where – Oh, and how Lincoln set this up to where he was like, yeah, you know, we have a Hall of Famer that's on the bench. It's pretty not, – it's not bad to have. Like, perfect. It's not exactly the same, but hopefully this isn't like a seven situation where Lincoln Riley is Brad Pitt and <laughs> and Bob Stoops is Morgan Freeman. And, and then, uh, back off now. Dave Aranda has the upper hand. <laughs> this is where we get off the rails. But, uh, <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> Why aren't there seven guys in the box? All Baylor does is run. That number one guy is actually pretty good. Who? Uh, the dude for Baylor that like torched Kansas RJ State. RJ Sneed, the receiver. Yeah, yeah. They've dude. got a couple dudes. Yeah. Petrie, the nickel. The they guy should have Lincoln some talent, him. you know. Yeah. But the problem again they have is that they lost the Roy. I don't know his last name. It's escaping me. They're going tackle. through an identity shift themselves. So. Yes, but it should be close to what they did with Matt Rule. Like I, I believe in Dave Aranda. He's got four years to figure it out. See, that's what's crazy is you look at Iowa State and you look at Kansas State and you look at all these programs. Like Iowa State's the perfect example. This Matt is Campbell. a fantastic year to be a first-year head coach. Yep. In in the vein of. I don't know if anyone's going to count this. No. If you are a Tom Herman, John Harbaugh, where you've been there for Jim. some years, or Jim Harbaugh or whatever, um, if you've been there for some time, 
I they'll count it because it's like we've already seen this movie before. What's pretty damn cool and something maybe the last thing we touch on is like, man, we've seen the full. The, I tweeted this out on Friday, but we've seen the full evolution of a football program with what Matt Campbell's done at Iowa State. It's been year five. You go year zero, and then you have years one, two, three, four recruiting. It's a great song by Ghost. Don't know it. I n- I don't expect that you would. Okay, but it's like. I don't know. It's I guess we now see like what it's like to build a program up from the ground, from the ground up because they won like three games before he got there. Yeah, they were bad. And then Matt Rule. So we so we've seen what Matt Rule and Matt Campbell have done, and what good coaches can do in four or five years' time. So yeah, I think I, it's badass. Iowa I think State, that's cool. Iowa State was always a program that I was fairly confident that if they found the right coach and were able to give him enough time to get his guys in. And also that guy didn't just jump ship at the first opportunity. Yep. Iowa State can be a program that can be fairly like what they are. You know, they can contend if, you know, all the chips fall in their in their mm-hmm. place. Um, they can contend for a conference title or they could always just be what Kansas State was in the 2000s where they were always a thorn in OU or Texas's side. Um, they can be that good just because their in-state talent, it's not flashy, but it gets the job done and they're probably able to get it. You know the remnants of the play, like Bryce Hall or Bryce Hall. Um, they're able to get the remnants of players that are probably good enough to play at bigger schools, but they just quote are too full at the time. Yeah, and I'll so. leave you with this, pretty Trantham. You can't tell me that Iowa State can go to a Big Twelve championship and Oklahoma State can't, and I'll leave you with that. I mean, that is the you can't uh, recruit if you can't recruit to Ames, or if you can't if you can recruit and develop in Ames, you can recruit and develop in Stillwater. Well, Mike, Mike's got. You know, he's at a worse program than what Bob was, but they, you know, had similar problems. They just both kind of mailed it in in terms of recruiting, and it shows. Yep. Like, Bob was always able to get really good players because he's Bob Stoops, and he's coaching at OU, and Mike Gundy is able to get fewer good players every now and then because there is a track record of, like, skill guys having success there. But other than that, like, you know, the in-betweens, the, the, the depth, the trenches, that's what suffers when you mailed in in recruiting. Well, what uh, Mike Gunny's biggest downfall is that he should have banked off the success from 08 to 13, and he didn't. Oh, yeah. They, they recru- Their drop-off is so bad. Yeah. they. I mean, they should have been a top-20 recruiting team after those years. I mean, the fact that you have all these NFL players, you should be able to recruit at a higher level. Um, you should be able to bank off that. I just can't believe they can't get good quarterbacks. I cannot believe that. I mean, I mean, I don't. Here's the thing. Like, I think that for me personally, and I know you're gonna be like, this is ludicrous, but I think the jury's still out on Spitzer Sanders a little bit. I mean, the, when you, you think of that, can be that is technically fair. Yeah. I have my opinion is like, I just don't think he's good, but there is enough time for him to like prove me wrong. Yeah. So like, I mean, when you think about it, he didn't get, he didn't enroll early. He had to sit a whole year behind um, Corn Dog. Uh, yeah, so Gundy made him sit, so he didn't get any in-game development that year. And I heard his freshman year, like, in practice, that even on scout team, he was just turning the ball over a lot. Yeah, he couldn't um, read defenses yeah. is what I heard. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he gets to his second year, and he gets hurt during the season, so there's more lack of in-game development. And then in his third year, it was a pandemic. He has no spring football. He's hurt all off season. Sounds like the Sam Bradford professional career. <laughs> So Which like I got, I got some, like I got some heat for that last night. But uh, well, um, 
with Carson so, Wentz thing. Yeah. So then, uh, and then year three, like I said, like he doesn't have you know spring football. He's rehabbing. He doesn't practice much in the fall before the season. So he just hasn't had a lot of time behind the scenes to develop, like really, really, truly develop. And this is kind of the, you know, growing pain year if you're Spencer Sanders. So you've got to come back strong next year. Um, but that's what I said it'd be my final thought, and I'll leave you with my final thought that it's you can't tell me that you can win, develop, and recruit to Ames, Iowa, and you can't win, develop, and recruit to Stillwater, Oklahoma. It's just not going to happen. Sorry. That's okay. I I accept your apology, but. We will end with that, and our hopes are that we do have a game on Saturday. If we don't, you'll be getting a podcast Wednesday night, probably, again. Again, and I think this time, if there is no game, we will, uh, for our patrons, uh, shout out to you guys. We love you and appreciate you. Um, Shame on us. I was a little busy Saturday night with some family stuff, but I thought it would have been a good idea to put out a Patreon podcast after the Iowa State game and after the Baylor game. Kansas State game, of course. So if we, if OU gets postponed, we'll still put out something for you it's guys. A, to, it's another to important Saturday, Brady, because you got Iowa State, West Virginia, and you've got Kansas State and Texas. Yep. So there is still a lot that influences Oklahoma if their game can't be played, but we hope that it can be played. I think it will. Maybe I'm being too optimistic, but that is what it I'm, is. I'm 49, 49%. It's not going to happen. I said that yesterday. I still oh. feel that way. Oh. Well, we'll leave it at that. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. Appreciate you all. Um, until next time, until Thursday, hopefully at Vanessa House. Uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Boomer Sooner. Stay sexy. Stay safe.